This is episode number 121 with Dr. Suhas Keshasaga. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This week's podcast is brought to you by Organifi, which is a superior organic, all-natural, vegan superfood blend, refined and clinically tested and time-proven. Now, as most of you know, I travel a lot, but my health is one of my top priorities and something I'm so passionate about and will never skimp on, which is why when I travel, I carry my little Organifi green juice sachets with me. So no matter where I am in the world, I can always start my day with delicious, alkalizing, nourishing greens, which is great because no matter what happens after that, at least I've started my day loaded with green goodness. And the amazing thing about Organifi is they don't just do greens. They have red juice, golden turmeric blends, yum-o, clean protein powders, probiotic blends, and so much more. Now, I first tried these yummy greens last year when we were doing service work with the Syrian refugees in Greece because Mike Sherbakov, who has been on this show, whipped out his little green sachets every morning. And a few days in, I asked if I could try one and I was hooked. Not only is it super delicious, but I felt amazing and was buzzing with energy. And so I have a special offer for you. If you want to get 20% off anything store-wide, all you have to do is head to OrganifiShop.com and that's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com. Don't worry, I'll link to it in the show notes just in case you're driving and type MA Tribe at the checkout and you will get 20% off everything in your cart. How epic is that? Dr. Suhas is a world-renowned Ayurvedic physician and educator from India, and he was born in a traditional Rigvedic family. He holds an MD in Ayurvedic medicine with a gold medal from the prestigious Pune University in India. Now, he is one of the most academically accomplished Ayurvedic physicians in the US, and he has traveled the world popularizing Ayurvedic medicine, setting up clinics, offering courses for both medical professionals and laypersons, and has provided Ayurvedic consultations for thousands of patients. He is an internationally acclaimed motivational speaker and a visiting professor at many various schools and universities around the world. He is also an advisor and consultant for the Chopra Center, and he has been featured in numerous radio and television shows like Dr. Oz, NBC, and many more. He is an experienced clinician and an insightful Vedic counselor, and he adds tremendous value to his clients and students alike. He is an internationally acclaimed researcher, best-selling author, formulator, and consultant 
to various companies. And he is currently the director of Ayurvedic Healing and Integrative Wellness Clinic in Santa Cruz, California. And in today's episode, you are going to learn about why understanding your Ayurvedic body type and your specific body type just for you, you are going to understand why you need to know your Ayurvedic body type, how we get imbalanced and how we can prevent common lifestyle diseases, why diseases are a detour, how understanding your body type affects your schedule and routine, and how this can change your life, why lack of sleep is making you dumb, what is social jet lag and why it's ruining your health and life, why we must avoid blue light and screens at night, what exercise is actually good for you and your body type and the ideal time to be working out for you, how to build your ideal day according to your specific body type, what he attributes his success to, plus so much more. This episode is jam-packed with information and wisdom that is life-changing. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash one two one. And before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week's comes from Emma Harry and she says, inspiration and then some. Such a great range of interview topics with show notes that really help to keep you on track long after the inspiring podcast ends. I'm a long way from living my best life, but so much closer to it because of the help from this podcast. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much, Emma, for your beautiful review. I'm so grateful and so glad you're getting so much out of it. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review now. And without further ado, let's bring on this beautiful, knowledgeable, insightful human being, Dr. Suhas Kesha Saga. Welcome, Dr. Suhas. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had a a soupy steel-cut oatmeal with a little bit of raisins and some soaked nuts. Very Ayurveda of you. I'd love to know, what's your body type? My body type is Pitta and Kapha predominant. It's a little bit of a tricky one because Pitta is fire predominant and Kapha is water. So I have to uh, manage my Pitta and Kapha properly. I am Pitta Kapha as well. That's wonderful. That's why you are so passionate about what you do. Exactly. Now, my husband Nick and I first discovered you from our dear friend, Laura Plum, who has been on my podcast, and she was on episode number 27 for those that want to go and listen to that episode. And then Nick had some sessions with you. I think he had about five sessions with you, maybe four years ago. And here we are again, connecting, which is so beautiful. And I love and am obsessed with Ayurveda. And we've spoken a lot about it on the show. So as you can imagine, 
I love you. I love your work and your books and in particular, the message that you're spreading for the millennials right now, which is all in your latest book, which is called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, How to Harness the Power of Clock Genes to Lose Weight, Optimize Your Workout, and finally get a good night's sleep. I mean, this isn't just a message for the millennials, it's for everyone, but why is understanding Ayurveda so important for us, especially the millennials? Well, thank you, Melissa, and and same here as as I want to echo my sentiments, means you and Nick uh, have been bringing this uh, wonderful Vedic information to the forefront and making it very simple and very easy for everyone to embrace and understand. I'm very proud of your work, and I wish you all the best. And more importantly, uh, you are addressing the right kind of uh, community at the right age where they can not only improve the quantity of their life, but the quality of their life. So once again, thank you for everything that you do. And again, going back to who I am and what I do in the field of Ayurveda, uh, the way I look at Ayurveda is uh, literally science of life. And uh, nobody teaches us how to live life. And it's very important to go back to that core message which is the message of mindfulness, being aware. And Ayurveda can be simply translated as consciousness-based approach to health and well-being. And uh, every book that I write, every lecture that I give uh, is, is carrying that little message of us to really understand that we are responsible for our own health and well-being. And the current epidemic of busyness, as we say, is making us more and more disconnected from who we are. And it's not allowing us to eat the right food at the right time, not to exercise at the right time, not getting enough sleep. And the advent of social media and the technological advances is making us more and more disconnected from our bodily physiological functions. So it might be a message for the millennials, but it is a message for everyone to really go back to the score, understanding that who we are and how we live our life is exactly what is going to make a difference. Because now we know painfully enough that about 70-80% of all the chronic diseases that we have are lifestyle diseases. And they can not only be prevented, but totally reversed by the proper approach. Mm, I absolutely agree. So for someone who is listening, who might be experiencing a severe imbalance, and we can call that a disease, what is the first place for them to start? I think the first place is to really understand that how did they come to that stage where they got an, an imbalance. And uh, up to a certain time, especially with modern medicine, we have tried always to look at some something else that we can blame to. It could be a microbe, it could be uh, some chemical that is not working. But we all know painfully enough now that uh, it is something that what we do consciously or unconsciously is responsible for the disease and the imbalance that we are creating. And we have our own signature on that disease itself. So going back and asking that, what am I eating? What time am I going to bed? Am I doing the right kind of exercise? Am I living my life properly? Am I managing my emotions properly? Am I cultivating proper biological relationship with my friends and families? Anything that makes me happy, purposeful, all of those things. These are the questions. And I think from an Ayurvedic perspective, diseases are detours. They are, they are there for a purpose that helps you become a better human being. That's At least at that stage, you're stuck and your backs are to the wall. And then you look up and try to find questions. And the first place to look at who you have become and what you do 
in which you are creating this imbalance. And I, where I practice here in the Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, I see so many people who spend their health to get some wealth. And afterward, they would like to share their wealth with you to regain their health, which is not always possible. Yeah, I'm sure you see it a lot in Silicon Valley, that overachieving type A, you know, just burning themselves out. And I wanted to just highlight that my husband is very much Vata and I'm very much Pitta. So our schedules are very different. And I literally bounce out of bed in the morning. I get straight into my morning routine and I begin my work, which I can't wait to dive into. But Nick is a lot slower at getting started in the morning. And he gets very wobbly if he doesn't stick to a structured morning routine. And for him, he, it really sets him up for the day. So how does understanding your body type and Ayurveda affect our schedules and routines? I think it's very important to understand who you are and how your body behaves and how your mind thinks. And it's good that you're at least paying attention to what Nick is doing and what you are doing at times. So it is possible that he uh, he likes to get a little bit more of a structured routine. And when he doesn't do that, he can feel the difference. And when you get too carried away and you, you get too much of work done and you get into this working kind of a mode, mm-hmm. then you suddenly feel a little bit more uh, exhausted and tired. So I think uh, just just being aware of that, that is the starting point. When you know your body type, there are several benefits of knowing your prakriti and your body type. And it's not only uh, mm-hmm. this is the way you think, but this is the way your body behaves, your biochemicals, neuro, your neurochemicals, your every cell of the body is under the influence of these doshas itself. So it actually helps you create an ideal daily routine. It helps you develop some ideal exercise habit. Maybe some people would respond very well to yogas or pilates. Some people need some very vigorous cardiovascular exercise. Some people would respond to uh, structured weight training exercises. Some people would enjoy some competitive sports. So uh, I think uh, creating a little bit of an understanding that what you like and what your body loves the most. Uh, what is the time? What is the optimum time that you can you can sleep and and feel rested? What type of meditation is more suitable to you? What type of yoga is more suitable to you? What type of pranayama is more suitable to you? Even with the diet, since Ayurveda has been talking about dosha pacifying diets, something suitable for vata, pitta and kapha for a very long time. And now we are realizing that nutrigenomics is something where at a genetic level, uh, if pitta people eat foods, which is going to make them a little bit more wound up, hot, spicy, uh, curried kind of food, is going to create more inflammation. If vata people end up in eating very dry and cold kind of foods, it's going to create more of, uh, of a vata imbalance and degeneration and lightness and weakness. If kapha people end up in eating heavy-duty carbohydrates, refined starches, it's going to make them feel dull, heavy, groggy, um, and even tired just because of that. So I think uh, you can select the nutrition which is suitable to you, you can, you can even select the work routine that what time you start, what time you end, what kind of gaps you should give in between, what are the things you should stay away from, what kind of books you should be reading, what kind of movies you should be watching, what kind of people you should hang out with. This is all encoded and we call it that this is what I like and this is what I don't like. But this is much more deeper than what you like and what you don't like. It is at a physiological level. 
So uh, uh, doshas are more like uh, a genotype and phenotype understanding what modern medicine is finally catching up. And it is telling us that the environment that you live, the epigenetic atmosphere in which you are exposing yourself to is exactly how you should be knowing and what you should not be doing certain things. So I think Ayurveda is is uh, literally like a cutting-edge science, a new-age medicine, which actually tells you that identify who you are, identify what you do, and be a little bit more in control and be more in a mindful situation of making subtle changes and something which is more uh, driven by yourself. We, we have to rise above this whole HMO model where we, we thought that, we can take care of everybody's health, but I think it's it's your personal health and well-being uh, should be fully under your control. And I think dosha is the perfect language, lingo, and the template for you to understand to really uh, design uh, a routine uh, and design uh, a way of life that is absolutely suitable and conducive. And it should bring the best out of you. That's what the purpose is. If you are a pitta type, you should be really effective in what what work you would be doing. Uh, without feeling burnt out or exhausted. If you're a Vata type, you're a creative person, uh, you might have artistic instincts. If you don't give yourself time, uh, gap, space, spending time in nature and slowing down, then those creative juices will not be there. So I think uh, all of this makes a lot of sense, whether you are uh, doing parenting skills and understanding what your kids and their body type is and what what are different strategies that you can do for a Vata child versus a Pitta child, or you are uh, an HR manager and you have 10 different employees and you'll have to deal with each of them differently, understanding a little bit about their body type also. So I think it's a great tool and a great template to understand and know more about your body type. Absolutely. Nick actually just brought a new person on his team to work with him. And one of the first things that he got her to do was to discover her body type so that he could understand more about her and uh, the way she is. So it's, it's an amazing thing to do and to have at our fingertips. And it wasn't until many, many years ago when I really dove into the world of Ayurveda and started researching it that I really grasped the potency of this ancient science. And before that, I very much, you know, thought to myself, well, why doesn't Nick jump out of bed like I do? Why doesn't Leo, who is my 12-year-old stepson, like, why don't they jump out of bed? Like, what's wrong with them? Like I used to think, well, why are they so much slower in the morning? But then they're both super creative and they're super arty and artistic. And we'd be sitting around the dinner table and I would go and open the balcony door. And both of them who are, they're both very, very Vata, they'd be like, please close the door. Please close the door. It's freezing. And I'm sitting there going, how are you guys cold? How are you cold right now? And it's just the different body types. So even just having that understanding that we're all so unique and all so different really does help you. And I think, I think going back to your book also, I mean, it actually helps you um, be attracted and amused to each other because of that opposite qualities in each other. means you are attracted to their creativity and their slowing down and their ability to listen to you and and be mindful of everything. 
and uh, they're attracted with your dynamism and what you do and how much can you get it done and your passion and how intense you can be with everything. So that is, that is the crux of the relationship also, because then you start respecting that. You're attracted to those opposite qualities to a certain extent. And this is a unique quality. Instead of fixing it and thinking that there's something wrong, you start appreciating that. And I think that is the, that is the seed of uh, for a successful relationship because you don't you don't look at that as imperfection that you need to be constantly pointing out fingers to each other but be attracted and be amused to that and maybe even cultivate that uh, so i think i think that i see uh, as a medical astrologer quite a bit in my practice where where uh, there are very few differences but they make each other's life very difficult just based upon that. And once you understand that, yes, you you are you are a Vata person compared to me being a Pitta person, then you are actually a little bit more kind and compassionate and uh, a little bit more accommodating to a certain extent. But more importantly, you are bringing the best out of each other by by allowing them to be who they are. And you have to be who you are otherwise, because everything else is taken, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And understanding, I can see how understanding your children's body type would really help you nurture them and really support them. It's it's definitely helped us with Leo and it's really deepened our connection. Again, going back going back to this Melissa because this is a fascinating topic and I'm very very impressed with your depth of understanding of this. Ayurveda is a science of qualities. Okay? So it is a science of qualities. There's nothing more to it. It's about the qualities that interact with the qualities that you have. If you eat hot, you become hot. If you are exposed to dryness, you will become dry. If you eat heavy, you become heavy. If you eat something light, you become light. If you are eating something which is soft, smooth, cold, sticky, and heavy, you will become cold, heavy, soft, smooth, and sticky. So this language of doshas is simple enough for us to understand and to bring in the opposite principle. So if you are if you are a fast acting principle, then you have to slow down consciously. You have to bring in foods which are just opposite to those qualities itself. And I think if you can manage those things at your own level, you can prevent a whole cascade of imbalance that was that might happen down the road if you have ignored that. And I think that's why uh, Ayurveda is a science that everybody should learn, understand, and it's so simple. It is. It is meant for prevention, that's the purpose of Ayurveda, but it's also meant, uh, meant to really apply those subtle principles to make what we call it as health conscious choices that you can actually manage those so effectively, which is allowing you to live up to your fullest potential. Mm, I love it. And I first discovered it back in 2011 and since then have just absorbed myself in books and your books and Deepak Chopra's Perfect Health and all of these amazing resources because I've just wanted to really understand it more for myself and for my family. So I think you're absolutely right. It's something that everyone needs to know about and needs to implement into their life. It's it's life-changing. I'd love to hear in terms of the different body types, what is the ideal routine or schedule? Well, I think ideal routine, whether no matter what body type you have, um, you have to you have to follow the the exposure to sun and moon, and that's what I try to explain in my new book, Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life. Because uh, whether we like it or not, our little planet Earth is stumbling on its axis and swirling around the sun at the same speed in space. 
So we are exposed to day and night and our physiology down to the cellular level. And that's what the discovery of clot genes is all about. So we are exposed to those changes no matter what. And so you have to you have to start when when the sun is phasing in and you have to slowly prepare yourself to start your day. You should have a lighter breakfast uh, because the sunlight is nice and tender around that time. You should have the main meal of the day when the sun is prominent in the middle of the day. And then uh, you should have a lighter dinner when the sunlight is fading in the evening itself. So I think from a simplistic point of view, exercise, diet, and sleep, these are very important activities that every dosha should be careful. When we go back to understanding vata, vata is all about regular habits. So they tend to get a little bit more irregular and erratic in terms of their energy, their bowel movements, their digestive function. So the more they stay close to the balanced routine and regular habits, it's really good for them. Quiet time, meditation is very, very important. For them, attention to fluids, especially warm fluids during the day to prevent any dehydration because this is a dry dosha and they can get dehydrated very easily, making sure they get ample rest and and keep themselves warm with some warm clothing and uh, staying and working in warm atmosphere. Uh, If you are living in a warm, sunny place, those Vata people absolutely love it. They don't like uh, gray and cold weather itself and lack of sunlight can be problematic for them. They should do every day what we call it as a bhyanga or uh, or a self-massage with sesame oil or coconut oil. I think sesame oil is or almond oil is more suitable for vata type, which is warming and grounding. And and as I said, the key, key to vata is regularity. Uh, they should be avoiding mental strain, overstimulating themselves. So for them, it is very important, the last thing that they do in the evening, not be watching a violent movie or checking uh, their emails or working too late in the night because it will haunt their sleep quite a bit. They are light sleepers, so they have to be very, very careful. What do they what do they do last thing before they go to sleep and the first thing when they wake up in the morning itself? Keep your surroundings light and bright. They respond very good to sunlight and cheerful colors. Uh, alcohol, too much of caffeine is really, really bad for Vata people. Any kind of stimulants that should be avoided. And these are some simple tips for Vata people. If you compare that with Pitta people, um, they actually, uh, they are driven, they are passionate, um, they like to work and they, they, they make their presence felt and uh, they like to be in a, in a natural leadership role and driver's role as such. For them, it's to reminding themselves to be uh, doing everything in moderation. Moderation is the key for Pitta people. They cannot get carried away with doing too many things, coolness, trying to stay calm, trying to talk less and listen more is a conscious habit. The sooner they develop, the more successful they are. Attention to leisure, paying attention to outdoor natural beauty, um, walking on green grasses, as you said in your book, green vacations, outdoor activity, balancing your rest and activity, making sure your sleep is so important. You need to plan it properly because sleep is the most potent anti-inflammatory activity that you will ever do, and and uh, minimizing stimulation, so uh, not pushing yourselves too hard, pitta pacifying foods, which is more bitter, green, astringent kind of food, not overeating, um, uh, having good supply, steady supply of meals. Uh, if you need to snack in between, you should be eating mostly what we call it as God-made food, then that of man-made food, uh, maybe fruits and nuts would be a good snack. Um, having sweet, bitter, and astringent taste, 
minimizing stimulations like caffeine and tea and alcohol. And activity has to be fun, physical activity. It could be sports. It could be uh, yoga, which is more calming, relaxing. Uh, midday activities and outdoor sport, they have to be a little bit less on that. But actually, doing physical activity is really, really good. And the same variation with kapha type people who um, you have to stimulate them. Uh, you have to really um, understand that who they are and they, the physical movement and exercise is really important. Weight normalization is the key. A variety of different experience, exposing themselves to warmth and dryness is the key. You need to keep them stimulated, giving them hot and spicy foods, pungent, bitter, and astringent tests. Tastes are really good for them. Uh, heat, sauna, sweating. Sweating is one of the best things that kapha people can do. Uh, eating uh, drier food, spices. Fasting is an excellent technique to keep kapha in check itself. Dry massage to the body to stimulate circulation. Drinking hot water, herbal teas all day long is really good for them. They are also diuretic, which is good for them. Having a less luxurious lifestyle. So we often jokingly say that Vata Pitta and Kapha people, Vata people, you have to treat them like your little kids because you can't be too tough on them. You have to, uh, you have to uh, treat them a little bit more tenderly like butterflies. Uh, Pitta people, you have to accept them as your friends because they can be nuts sometimes and you can't feel good or bad about it. You have to just accept them as they are. And and uh, making them feel uh, a little bit more appreciated. Laughter is the key to uh, crack them up a little bit and lighten them up literally. And kapha people, you have to treat them like your enemies. You have to you have to empty their refrigerator. You have to put some marbles in their sofa. You have to hide their remote controls, make them sleep on their floor, things like that. So anything that you can do in understanding who we are and what we do in terms of adding certain things in our routine uh, is is the key here. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It's a medicine in which uh, nobody else is doing something to you. You need to understand uh, what is the most important thing for you to be doing. And I think uh, finally, we are calling this uh, from a modern medical perspective as personalized medicine. It's a, it's a glorified term. But what we are trying to do is identifying the genetic and metabolic differences between individuals and then prescribe drugs and treatment programs based on those differences. And if you look at Ayurveda, this is exactly what it is. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Now, obviously, sleep across the board is vital. So how does this differ from each body type? Like, is there a certain amount that's different for the Vata, Pitta and Kapha? Like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Or do you just think you know, everyone needs eight hours every night. Well, I think everybody should be asleep between 11 to 5 for sure. Okay. No matter what body type you have from 11 p.m. till 5 a.m., everybody should be asleep. If you're a Vata type, they are naturally what we call it as light sleeper. So they have to really um, be careful about their evening routine, what they're doing right before they go to sleep. They can do an oil massage. They can do some hot bath or shower. They can make their bedroom really dark and noise free. Uh, they can have a little bit of uh, aromatherapy diffuser in there, anything that can allow them to sleep and feel peaceful before they go to sleep. Pitta people, they feel often uh, very warm in the night and they it's, it's a good idea for them to sleep for at least I would say six to seven hours every night, but they have a tendency to get overheated. So they fall asleep okay, 
but they wake up in the wee hours in the morning and they can't continue to sleep. So around three, four, five, the sleep gets light and they they want to get out and start working right away. So for them, it's a good idea to probably uh, wash their feet with cool water before they go to sleep, rinse their feet with cool water. So it pulls the heat from head to toe. Um, they can have a little bit of a, a cup of warm milk or almond milk or golden milk before they go to sleep in the evening. Uh, again, not working too late, not working close to bedtime as such, listening to some relaxing music or cracking a magazine open or reading something that will help them unwind a little bit more. So nothing intellectually stimulant as such, but I think that's a good time to do that. For kapha type, I think uh, they, they don't have any problem in sleeping, but they uh, they often snore in the night and they have some restricted airways. Uh, so they have to make sure that they eat at least three to four hours before they go to sleep. So for kapha people, it's a must that after seven o'clock, they should not be eating any food whatsoever. They can have some herbal teas and things like that. And ideally, those are the people that should try to wake up early in the morning and get going with a brisk cardiovascular exercise first thing in the morning. So I think the sleep differs, but sleep is is a very important uh, quality that we talk about from an Ayurvedic perspective. And as I said, it is it is the most potent uh, anti-inflammatory activity that you will ever do. And uh, from from a Vedantic perspective, it's very close to uh, your your spiritual understanding of life. It's the place where you go when uh, you're going after you're dead and gone. So technically, we are doing a dress rehearsal of dying every night and we still wake up and show up next day morning. So the quality of the next day depends upon the night before. We often say that a good day begins the night before. And I think I think paying attention to the quality of the sleep, having a little bit of a more spiritual understanding where you actually look forward to go to sleep. And one of the biggest myths that I tried to bust in my book was that people think that it was not important. When you have nothing else to do, that's when you go and sleep. That's not true. I think it's such an important thing. And there are millions of functions that the body does uh, in its sleep, which is very important. Whether you talk about um, lipid synthesis, cholesterol regulation, you talk about uh, immune system functions, all of those things are so important. Uh, it's the time when the body detoxifies your brain. So it is the detoxification of the brain that happens in your sleep. So uh, making sure that we all understand the importance of it it is something, it is reprogramming, recharging, re-energizing our life. And we should absolutely look forward to uh, that phase um, of life itself. And unfortunately, as we say, the life has gotten very busy. And then we we don't go to sleep proper time. And when we don't go, then we are tossing and turning, uh, not able to go to sleep. And just because of that, we end up in waking up late. Uh, when, I, when I was writing my first book, Hot Belly Diet, uh, I, I did a little research to find out what the crux of the issue was. And it just boiled down to two things, uh, especially in weight, weight gain, where eat late to gain some weight and sleep late to gain some weight. If you're eating late, you will be gaining weight. If you're sleeping late, you will be gaining weight. And 71% of the country was doing both. And no matter what you will do to lose weight, it was not possible. So you just correct both of those things. Try not to eat anything after 7 p.m. and try to go to sleep between 10 and 11 every night. Yeah, I think you'll be normalizing weight much more easily. I used to definitely have that mentality of I'll sleep when I'm dead. And that just burnt me out. It gave me adrenal fatigue and 
it actually put me in hospital back in 2010. So I now take my sleep very, very seriously. Nick always jokes that I could go to the Olympics for sleep because I'm so good at it and I take it so seriously and I'm in training every day. I read in bed for about 15 minutes and then I'm asleep at 8.30 and I sleep until 5.30. I let my body naturally wake up when it wants to wake up. I go into a deep slumber. Um, Nick very much is a light sleeper and he needs a lot longer to wind down. So when he gets into bed, he needs to read sometimes for, you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes before he can really switch his brain off and fall into that beautiful, blissful place where, you know, I get into bed within sometimes five, 10, 15 minutes, I am out and don't, I don't stir. I don't really move. Um, I might turn on my side once and then turn back onto my back. But, you know, Nick always jokes that I'm just such a good sleeper, but it's taken me, it took me a little while to get into that habit, into that routine and to make it a priority because I didn't understand how important sleep was for everything, for, you know, my health, my happiness, my relationships. I didn't make it a priority and I didn't understand, but I am such a healthier, nicer, happier human when I make it a priority. We don't plan things in the evenings. Like every night this week, we don't have anything on because we take our sleep so seriously. And when we have people come over for dinner, they come over on the weekends at four o'clock so that we can catch up and we can talk and then we'll have like a 5.30 dinner and then they leave by like seven o'clock, you know, otherwise, you know, we used to have dinners. People would come over at seven, seven thirty. They're there till 11. Then you can't wind down. So it's just about creating these new habits and you will feel so much better when you do. And I think from a Vedic perspective, they have referred sleep as a goddess. They use a term called Bhutadhatri um, or Yoga Maya. So you are uh, into the lap of this goddess and that cast its spell for all the species around the universe, which nurtures them to, to feel replenished and nurtured with the quality of the sleep. And the moment we miss that thing, and that is, I think, the challenge, uh, especially the millennials that you were talking about, um, it is becoming more and more fashionable to stay up late and do weird things uh, late in the night. Um, in terms of uh, watching late night televisions, getting more work done or uh, trying to be on the social media. And I think that is that is the crux of the issue that I see where uh, many of the millennials and their health is getting affected way too early. So I think um, uh, we all know for a very long time, we, we often talk about it in, in terms of from a Vedic perspective, and I don't want to quote the original Sanskrit shloka here, which says nidrayatam sukham dukham where so many things are dependent upon life and the biggest one that everybody should learn is a lack of sleep actually makes you dumb lack of sleep slowly shrinks your brain and makes you having less attention span less concentration less focus less cognition and you will slowly have an early onset of alzheimer's and dementia because of lack of sleep and there's a lot of research and science to prove that now. So I think, um, and we, we know that those, those students who get a good night's sleep before the test next day perform far better. 
and that is applicable in every area of, of your life. Early to bed, early to rise makes us healthy, wealthy and wise. I love that. Could you send us the link to that article that talks about the lack of sleep making you dumb? And we can link to it in the show notes because I would love to read that. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening would love to read that as well. And it's funny that you say that because I remember in school, um, the children that struggled with learning and concentration were the children that didn't sleep. They went to bed very late with their parents and, you know, they were going to bed. Like I'm talking primary school here and they would go to bed at 1130 at night with their parents and they were the children that really struggled. And I am, you know, a lot of my friends that are listening to this that know me very well. I'm very, I'm very strict with Leo's sleep. You know, he's 12 years old and we have him one week on and one week off and the weeks that he is with us. He's in bed at seven o'clock and he reads until 7.30 and then it's lights out at 7.30. Now, a lot of 12-year-olds are not doing that, but I know just how important it is and I really want to embed this habit into him very young. I know when he's at his mum's, he goes to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock and I can't control that. So all I can do when he's with us is, is help him, you know, get into the habit when he's with us, because I have seen it affect people. Um, I've seen it, you know, they get into these habits when they're young or in their teen years or even in their 20s. And it's a lot more of a challenge to break that habit. My brother is like that. My brother is a professional athlete. He is a professional rugby union player and he lives over in Italy. And from his teenage years, he got into this very bad habit, like my mom, of going to bed very, very late. And it's really put him out. It's and he it's something that he's mindful of and that he wants to work on. And he always says to me, Mel, can you help me? Like, can you, you know, stay on my back about this and 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 you know, really support me? And when he was with me, he stayed with me for five days last week. I was like, All right, bedtime. And he's like, It's eight o'clock. And I'm like, Yep. Bedtime. <laughs> and he was like, okay, you know, he's like, thank you. You're, you know, I really need this. I think it was the misunderstanding for a very long time that sleeping is a waste of time. But I think that has to change and there's enough research to back it up. Another interesting in the light of what you are saying is that, especially in this country in the United States, we uh, in spring, we move our clocks forward, isn't it? They call it a spring forward, where we move our clocks one hour ahead in March. And within the first Monday and Tuesday after we move the clock, that happens on Sunday, and the next Monday and Tuesday, there's a 10% increase of people having heart attacks because they're sleeping one hour less. Wow. One hour less will increase the heart attacks, the risk of the heart attack by 10%. People going to emergency room. They looked at the traffic fatalities. How many people are into traffic accident within the first week after the clock change? It increases significantly. Noticeable enough that this is making a difference that they are all rattled up a week, uh, an hour early into commuters traffic and they are making lots of mistakes. So, I think I think it is it is important for us to pay attention to that. Another interesting thing that I want to uh, bring it to your notice, which I mentioned in my new book, Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, was something called a social jet lag. And people tend to behave themselves on Monday to Friday somehow 
where they try to wake up, show up for work, eat the right food at the right time, go to sleep, um, and uh, probably all of those things from Monday to Friday. But come Friday, um, they have a license to stay up late and eat late and things like that. So you're you're having a, a jolly good time on Friday evening. You can't get a reservation in a in a decent restaurant anywhere in the country on Friday evening. And then you wake up late and you think that you're catching up on sleep uh, on Saturday morning. So you wake up around 8, 30, 9, 9, 30, 10. And then uh, instead of having breakfast, you have brunch. Um, and then since you did not have lunch, you're going to have a late dinner and it's Saturday night. So you're out and doing all kinds of things and partying. And then again, Sunday morning, you do the same. You catch up on sleep. You wake up late. And then come Monday, you have to again show up to work around 6 o'clock, get ready and show up through the crazy traffic and everything. And what happens is it's as if you are you have taken a cross-country flight and you are waking up in a different time zone three hours earlier the way you were sleeping on the weekend. So the weekend social jet lag is what takes a lot of toll on people on their health on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And by the time it gets regulated on Thursday or Friday, it's one more Friday and you do it all over again. So this is a recurrent pattern. So one of the things that I encourage in the book is that it should not really differ a whole lot even on the weekends because otherwise you'll be taking this cross-country flight and having this social jet lag. It confuses the microbiome in your gut. It affects your digestion. It affects your bowel movements. It, it affects your um, gene expression. It affects your energy expenditure. So many things that we are able to actually uh, put our fingers on to really understand that this is going to create some shift. And there's no, there's uh, the message here not is to not to enjoy life or do anything. But we really don't have to get carried away with doing too many things which is going to uh, slowly affect our physical health and well-being. Absolutely. I am totally in agreement with that. Like for me, I still go to bed at the same time on Friday and Saturday, and I still wake up at the same time every day, even on a Saturday or a Sunday. And this isn't about never having a social life and not going out and doing things that you love and catching up with the people that you love. But instead of, you know, going out to a late dinner, go out for a lunch. Instead of having, you know, dinner at 7.30, bring it forward. Have people over to your house. And like what we do, we invite people to come over at four o'clock so that we can have the time to catch up and chat and talk. And then we'll have an early dinner and then they leave. So this isn't about never seeing your friends and being social. It's about getting creative with new, healthier ways to do it. Instead of going out drinking, go stand up paddleboarding on a Sunday morning. Instead of, you know, going to a club or a bar and where you're going to drink and eat food that is not going to serve your highest good, go for a hike, pack a picnic and do that on a Sunday. My brother calls them backpack days. And each Sunday he packs a backpack and a picnic and he leaves his phone at home and he goes on backpack days. And I loved this concept when he recently told me about it. And I was like, that is awesome. So it's about getting creative with new ways, healthier ways that you can social and that are going to serve you. And I think I, I was trying to research because uh, I see so many patients uh, in my clinical practice uh, about having that challenge. And I'm trying to understand why people are doing this, why, uh, why people are not going to bed at a proper time and not able to have time for themselves. And I researched and find out that 
exposure to the artificial light and the blue light in the evening is one of the crux of the issue. The more you are exposed to artificial light and blue light later in the evening, which delays the secretion of the melatonin that your body starts doing it around 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the evening, and you miss that boat, you miss that wave or the urge of sleep. Because quite commonly, around 8, 8.30, you actually feel sleepy. You're yawning and you look at the clock and say, God, who wants to sleep at 8.30? And then you get busy with watching television, doing some things on your iPad or looking at your e-readers and cell phones. And then that blue light is mimicking as if it's still light out there and it keeps on delaying the melatonin release. And I think this is the crux of the issue. So one of the things that I proposed in my book was at least two hours before you go to sleep, you should stay away from any kind of lighted object like television, um, screens, any kind of screens. You can read, you can go for a walk, you can do a massage, you can talk to each other, you can do anything, but stay away from these things. And I think many people came back and said that um, instead of doing anything else, they felt as if they were feeling yawning and they were wanting to retire and they were able to sleep more peacefully and they were able to wake up maybe an hour earlier than usual and had plenty of time to get ready to show up for work. And by the time they show up for work, they were the wide awake person. And I think many of these things, especially in the light of millennials that you talked to, Melissa, um, the internet highway has, has affected adversely this specific aspect of our sleep and rest. Because um, probably uh, if, you, if you look back at the current situations, in 2002, uh, everybody started using mo- um, cell phones or mobile phones. 2004, when the Facebook was launched. 2005, when YouTube was launched. 2006, when Twitter came along. 2007 was the first smartphone that Apple came up with. So we are just talking about 10 years. In 10 years, when 2000, we were having only 51% people using internet. And now 97% people use internet for everything. So I think we are reaching to a stage where uh, instead of allowing that technology to really dominate every area of our life, we have to be cautious in saying no to certain things and going back to something which is going to make us feel healthy and happy at the same time. Nature. And, and that's one thing which I mentioned because exposure to the elements, they call they use a fancy term called as forest bathing. And that forest bathing exposure to elements of nature actually resets the clock faster than anything else that you will do. So maybe an outdoor camping tour or going out for a hike for four or five hours in the middle of the day will reset that biological clock. Do you want to know some forest bathing I did yesterday? So right now we are in Noosa. So we have a home in Noosa and we have a home in Sydney. And when we're here, we're on 30 acres and no one can see. So I was doing some nudie sunbaking yesterday. And then I went for a walk around the property on the grass nude and I was just touching the trees and feeling the grass under my feet, feeling the sun kiss my skin. And I cannot tell you how calm and grounded and centered I felt after it. It was just bliss. Absolutely. It's, it's, we are 100% made in and made by nature and uh, your interaction with the natural elements of nature makes your body absolutely feel at home. 
And when we're here as well, we sleep with all, we don't have blinds on our bedroom windows. So we, we go to sleep with the sun, we rise with the sun. And so all night we've got the moonlight coming in and kissing our skin. And then our alarm clock is the beautiful sun that peeks out over the mountains. And it's just absolute bliss and beauty. And this morning I opened my eyes and I saw the moon just right there staring at me. And I was like, hey, moon, how are you? I was talking to the moon. I know that might sound really crazy, but I was talking to the moon. It can sound lunatic, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'd love to hear now, in terms of exercise and the different body types, what is good for each body type and when is good for each body type? Well, as we say that uh, ideally um, when you sleep and, and there, are, there are rhythms that we talk about, uh, the doshas that are predominant at different times of the day itself. And uh, when we look at the clock from an Ayurvedic perspective, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the time of vata. So 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the time of vata. So ideally you should actually wake up around 6 o'clock or a little bit before 6 o'clock in the morning. 6 to 10 a.m. is the kapha time. So this is a good time to do some brisk exercise, going out for some outdoor walk or doing some yoga, uh, maybe lifting some weights. Um, so that it, uh, exercise that is done before breakfast is one of the best things that you can do to regulate your metabolic function, your emotional moods and vitality, improving your focus and concentration. And then you have a lighter breakfast around that time. 10 to 2 is the pitta time. So 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the pitta time. And the peak time is around 12, 12.30, where uh, you you should be eating the biggest meal of the day itself. And this is also the time when your mind is completely awake and is the most focused, concentrated uh, phase of your brain in which it can get a lot of things done around this time. So around 9, 9.30 in the morning till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon is a very focused time that you can get a lot of things done. 2 to 6 p.m. is the vata time where uh, you are in the evening time. It's a, it's a productive time, um, but you are slowly unwinding and preparing for the evening. 6 to 10 p.m. in the evening is the kapha time of the day where you have to slow down, you have to relax, you have to catch the last bus that takes you to the land of sleep. And prepare yourself for a good, healthy, happy sleep. And in the middle of the night, between 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. is the is the time for the body to detoxify when you are uh, deeply asleep around that time. So it is it is something where you are able to do that around that time, which really helps you unwind and sleep. Uh, exercise in general, morning exercise is a good idea. But for Vata people, you should be doing exercise which are more gentle, which are more slow and strength training exercise. It can be yoga, it can be Pilates, it can be more uh, a gentle walk or a light jog or a run uh, with the elements of the nature without doing too many strenuous activity. That's the, those are the activities that is really good for Vata people. For Pitta people, I think they like a little bit of a challenge. So sports is a good idea. Uh, maybe some vigorous uh, yoga exercise, um, an intense sun salutation routine or Intense yoga like like vinyasa or things like that will be really good for them as such. Uh, even outdoor activities, skiing, swimming, um, uh, gentle weightlifting, those are all excellent activities for Pitta. Kapha is the body type which has, which has a lot of strength. They have big bones, muscles, tissues, tendons and ligaments. So they can do more heavy activities. So they can do more weightlifting, more cardiovascular exercise, hot yoga, which is good for them at times. 
they can do various different stimulating exercises and rotating them and keeping themselves energized throughout the day. For kapha people, it's not just once or twice a day you do exercise. You keep a more active lifestyle throughout the day. And for vata people, it's good to divide the exercise uh, in small pockets throughout the day so that they don't really feel burnt out or exhausted by doing that. And for pitta people, the only caution is they should not be doing midday sun activities where they are trying to do a lot of intense activity in the in a hot sun where they sometimes get dehydrated and depleted just because of that. So I think once we understand our our doshic nature and understand the quality itself, uh, it is really good. And and for vata people, it actually calms their mind, exercises the good way to make them pleasantly tired. If these people are not pleasantly tired, then they won't sleep well. So for Vata people, it's very important that they should be pleasantly tired so that they can unwind and sleep better. For Pitta people, they, they need to exercise and sweat and release the heat that is trapped into body. So um, there's a lot of pent-up heat into their system and they have to find a vent to release that heat and then they will cool down and sleep peacefully because of that type of exercise. Kapha people get a little bit more congested, mucusy, plugged up, fluid retentive, and uh, I think uh, vigorous exercise, sweating, uh, help them get rid of unwanted water, make them feel light and make them also tired, which help them improve the quality of the sleep. And it doesn't make them sleep feeling um, not able to breathe in the night where their airways are not clogged or congested, their sinuses are free and clear. Um, and I think uh, we can't sing enough praises about doing exercise. It releases the endorphins, it affects your mind, it's good for your heart, good for your brain. And I think the, the key here, uh, Melissa, is to really understand the connection between the heart and the brain. And where modern medicine is, is trying to really understand the connection between both of them. And we have this whole new science of cardiometabolic disorders that we talk about. So metabolic syndrome, heart disease, dyslipidemia, high cholesterol, pre-diabetes, diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia. So now they're calling Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes, which is affecting your cardiovascular functioning and cerebrovascular functioning. So I think from an Ayurvedic perspective, from a yogic perspective, uh, this makes a lot of sense. You do physical exercise, movement good for your heart, good for your brain. You do meditation, good for your heart, good for your brain. Yoga, good for your heart, good for brain. You do eat your spices, turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, cardamom, uh, good for your heart, good for your brain. You do pranayama, breathing exercise, you get enough sleep, good for your heart, good for your brain. Uh, positive emotional health and happiness, good for your heart. Laughter, Good for your heart, good for brain. So I think as we connect the dot and we don't compartmentalize medicine uh, in the way we have been doing for such a long time, I think uh, Ayurveda is able to connect all the vital organs, organ systems, uh, the mind, body together, finding the spiritual solutions for the crisis that we face in the life. And slowly it is it is evolving as if we we have created a perfect template or a platform where we can integrate so many things to help people and help them uh, find the true meaning of their life and really enjoy life to their fullest. Did you grow up in a family with all of this wisdom and knowledge? Yes, and I, I grew up in, uh, in a little rural part of India for uh, first uh, almost 20, 25 years of my life. So uh, there was a lot of these things there, uh, whether you like it or not, it was very uh, easily able to connect with nature itself, uh, fresh food, 
uh, organic fruits and vegetables, fresh milkmen coming to our door. Um, uh, fortunately, there was no real television or anything else. A lot of physical movement, outdoor activities and sports. And uh, the parents were uh, were wise enough to really help cultivate the right kind of understanding, uh, maybe studying the scriptures, understanding the festivals, um, doing something which, uh, which creates a more of a community kind of a growth and understanding. So I was fortunate enough to do that. And both of my parents are still living happily in India and they are enjoying a healthy, happy life still. And they are in their 80s, and I think I think that's the crux of it. They feel uh, they feel uh, really happy with where they are and what they have done to us. And um, uh, as as we learn and grew up in that culture and went around the world, uh, we are able to really respect where we are coming from and the way we are revalidating the ancient Ayurvedic concept and the yogic concept uh, is literally music to my ears and. Uh, that what gives me the energy to go around and talk to so many people on an everyday basis. Mm, I love that. Understanding the different body types, times of day. So Vata, 2 till 6, Pitta, 10 till 2, and the Kapha, 6 till 10, both a.m. and p.m. How can we build our ideal day knowing this knowledge? Is it just a matter of having that understanding or are there other things that we can do? Well, I think first is to have that understanding, but building an ideal daily uh, routine is very important. It's it's not um, uh, what you eat, but when you eat is important. It's not how much you sleep, but when you sleep is equally important. It's not uh, uh, what exercise you do, but when you do exercise is important. So it is not what, but when. And I think that's what the rhythms of nature is all about. So uh, the dosha types uh, are are effortlessly sinking themselves to the circadian rhythms, and uh, we are evolving to something what is called as a new circadian medicine. So, as I said, that the perfect ideal day has to be in sync with uh, with dawn to dusk. The birds know it, the animals know it. Unfortunately, we are forgetting the basic rhythms of our body itself. And I think the more we get ourselves familiar and keep ourselves busy with um, waking up and doing some mindful activities, um, having a lighter breakfast, physical movement, exercise, showing up for the work at the right time, um, eating the main meal of the day when sun is prominent in the sky, slowly unwinding, um, preparing for a good night's sleep in the evening, having a lighter meal, eating at least three hours before we go to sleep so that we digest the body, uh, digest the food completely and we are not waking up dull, heavy, groggy, toxic and tired in the morning. So uh, we call it as chronobiology, which is pretty much hardwired and fairly inflexible form of biology. But it's our social and economic system that of modern humans that is provoking it constantly. So I think the book provides a perfect template to understand and synchronize your circadian rhythms of light and darkness, right down to the cellular level itself. And I've designed numerous quizzes in the book, um, understanding your chronotype, understanding your body type, maybe selecting certain things that you can do, which would be enormously helpful for you to actually implement these subtle changes. And I've received um, a lot of feedback from people who have read the book and made those subtle changes, and they see that they can't even imagine that how this little change has made such a profound difference in everything what they do and how they feel. Yeah, I love that. So what do you attribute your success to? Depends upon what success you're talking about. 
um, is it is it a professional success or success as a human being in terms of where we are? I think the success is, uh, as I measure it, is is finding your dharma, finding your purpose in life that gives you spring and joy and energy to wake up every day and do something that you absolutely love. And as you as you're doing it, you're developing skill sets uh, to to do it better. And you feel absolutely content and happy at the end of the day that you have done your best and given the best to the people that you love, like, appreciate, and respect. And and I think that's the that's the purpose of human life. Mm, I love that. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? I think what is most important for me is to is to really uh, slow down, slowing down, creating a structure where I'm enjoying my uh, daily exercise. I'm enjoying my daily meditation in the morning. More importantly, I'm able to actually uh, marvel and look at the elements of nature and sit back and relax and watch things how they are and unfold. And uh, maybe go back to everything that I, I was le- I was learning in school. I was born and brought up with, and and probably create different insights and create some subtle templates of actionable items that uh, I can implement in my own life and and give it and share it with my clients and students and even family members alike. So my wife is also a classically trained Ayurvedic doctor and we both practice together. Uh, my, my son, who finished his master's in Ayurvedic uh, and integrative medicine, uh, also is an Ayurvedic practitioner in Southern California. And my daughter is also on the same path. She's studying naturopathic medicine. Um, and uh, we have traveled all around the globe talking about health and wellness. Uh, and I think I'm so happy that uh, we were able to inspire each other within the family to, to do these things that we have seen, uh, how it has made uh, the difference, how we are able to maintain our state of health and well-being. And more importantly, it, it creates uh, a degree of... Um, uh, a wholesome understanding of a community that you build, uh, a community of friends and families and well-wishers and everyone that you you feel really purposeful and meaningful. And I think that is that is a joyful aspect of my life right now. And if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides all of your amazing books, let's pretend they're already in the curriculum, what one book would you choose? I think I I personally love uh, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak, uh, by Dr. Deepak Chopra. It's a very simple book, but I think it talks the real understanding of life where it is and how can you actually understand that and take it to a very simplistic manner where you feel really inspired to find spiritual solutions for whatever life is bringing to you. So I love that book personally, and I recommend it to quite a few of my friends, families, and clients. And I think the sooner you learn uh, the true nature of human life, the better it's going to be. Yeah, I loved Deepak's Perfect Health. That was an amazing book. I It's a big one. It's a brick, but I loved reading that. He, his books are amazing. So can you share your morning routine with us? I'd love to hear how your morning routine unfolds. I think I, I wake up somewhere close to around um, 5.15 to 5.30 in the morning itself. And 
uh, after after um, uh, brushing, scraping my tongue, doing my oil pulling, having my morning evacuations and everything, actually drink a um, couple of cups of big uh, glasses of hot water with a little um, lemon juice, maybe 10 to 15 drops in that. I just peacefully sit cross-legged and drink those couple of cups of water and uh, engage into a short meditation, which I'd like to do for about 15 to 20 minutes every morning after I drink some warm water. And uh, sometimes it's a little bit cool and nippy, so I sit close to my fireplace and, and meditate for about 20 minutes. And then I put my my running shoes and go out and go for a brisk walk on the beach or do some light jog or some physical activity. Uh, sometimes I actually, if I have time, then I go to our gym and do my physical morning workout and about 30, 40 minutes and then come back, shower, get ready. Uh, by the time uh, we are ready, it's around 8, 8.15 in the morning and then we have our morning breakfast and then show up to work and then we usually see our patients from around 8.30 or so to 12.30 where we break for lunch and uh, we have a nice homemade lunch which is around that time and we sit down, we go for a short walk for about 10-15 minutes after lunch and then come back and around 1.30 we start again seeing clients and patients which we do all the way till 4.30, quarter to 5 and then we drive back again uh, unwind, go for a little walk and stroll um, for about 20-30 minutes. It's much more of a lighter, relaxing walk. Come back for uh, an evening meditation for about 20 minutes or so. And then we have our dinner, which is around 6.30 or 7 at time. And um, we usually um, watch something, something light, easy, funny, catch, catch up with something around 8 o'clock or so. And that's when we turn off of a television and internet or anything. That's the time that I read some books, um, do my evening shower one more time, um, maybe talk to my parents or anyone in India, things like that. And then around around 10 o'clock or so, we turn off the lights, make sure that the bedroom is nice and pitch dark and no noise and music, turn off our cell phones and everything else. And... Uh, it's it's a usual very simple uh, routine itself. There's there's hardly any socializing apart from talking to our our uh, clients and students and patients throughout the day. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'd love to hear what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life. I think I'm very happy with um, with uh, my family, and I'm absolutely grateful for a wonderful loving partner who made it all uh, seamless and coherent and was able to hold everything together. And uh, that was a big area of life that we raised our kids traveling around the globe, literally living out of suitcases uh, in um, 30, 40 different countries. And it was a busy, hectic time. But in spite of that, um, the kids turned out to be okay. Uh, We turned out to be uh, happy and settled where we are in our life and we were all happy doing what we were doing so i'm very grateful for having the right kind of partner and uh, having that opportunity to share this together with her and uh, have have uh, uh, the right kind of family values imbibed in in my own kids 
The second thing, I think I'm really grateful for this uh, early vision to the reality of how the universe functions. So I was um, closely associated with His Holiness Maharshi Mahesh Yogi, who was the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Group. And um, uh, I lived and worked with him for many, many years and uh, traveled around the globe talking about transcendental meditation, yoga, Ayurveda, food, nutrition, all of those things. So that was that was the time which I was able to actually compare where I was coming from, uh, my culture, my understanding, my education with, uh, with working with Maharshi. And I think it opened a very different vision of reality to me. And I'm very, very grateful. For, for that opportunity and for that insight that has stayed with me and that has kind of uh, created uh, this journey that I, I feel absolutely happy about. And last but not the least is is uh, this this quality of health that was um, I inherited in way early from my parents and their ability to inspire me to do the right things at the right time and <clears throat> look at life in in a way where you always take care of your physical health and well-being no matter where you are and what you do and slowly uh, constantly add some things and grow and learn things which is uh, allowing you to to stay healthy in spite of all the hectic things that you do so i think those values were uh, instilled in me way way too early so i think i'm i'm very grateful for for uh, this this journey so far in life in that way. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of those. I'd love to hear now, I've got three rapid fire questions for you. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? I think uh, I, I personally feel that um, uh, sleep is important and you have to really cultivate a time to get good night rest, which is good for your emotional health and well-being. So whatever you do, last thing before you go to sleep is to help you improve the quality of the sleep would be a wonderful idea to, to, to work on. It's a very natural thing. There's nothing artificially that you have to do. It's the artificial thing that what we do, it affects the natural course of the sleep. So keep it as simple and natural as much as possible. I agree. Okay, the next one is, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. I think it's wealth is not only about money, but wealth is about people. Wealth is about having having health, which is healthy, and you're not spending anything else. So I think there are so many different ways that you can look at the word wealth itself. So uh, I personally feel that when you are healthy and happy, that's the true wealth. And uh, sleep, exercise, good, clean diet uh, are the three pillars for your physical health and well-being. And no matter how much money you have, uh, if you're not feeling healthy, it's not worth it. And even if you don't have enough money and you are feeling absolutely healthy, happy, and radiant, um, it is it is something that you will always find uh, people, places uh, uh, in which you are able to feel appreciated and rewarded. So as I said, I see quite a few people who have a lot of money, but they're not feeling healthy and happy. So our emphasis should be finding that health, that no, finding that wealth that nobody can take away from us. Absolutely. And finally, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? 
I think you need to give others what you want for yourself because if you want appreciation, you appreciate others. If you want attention, you give attention to other people. If you want to be heard, listen others. If you want love, you have to you have to give it to them. You have to be unconditionally loving and kind uh, to everyone. And I think uh, uh, especially the the quality of relationship and love is is not only from a romantic perspective or a sexual perspective but it is about about the cohesion is the glue that binds everything together so i think giving others love brings us more love and joy in our life absolutely now is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't spoken about any last parting words of wisdom anything that you want to mention to our beautiful listeners when I was um, browsing your book, Melissa, which is a wonderful book, by the way, I think it has a it has a core message of understanding who you are as a human being and how you function in your life. Whether you slowly clean up some of the challenges that you are born and raised um, with, and you are reprogramming your brain by 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 learning, reading, understanding uh, with people who have done it. That's one part. And the second part is is slowly allowing yourself to be open to these ideas and notions and never stop growing, never stop learning. And it is slowly reached to a level of perfection where everything that you want is going to sink into that situation itself. So I think I think that mindfulness, that being aware and, and slowly uh, cultivating those values, which are a consciousness-based living, what we call it as enlightened living, is 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 the need of the hour. Mm, thank you so much. I I agree. It's you know we've got to be open, never stop learning. We're in Earth School. We've got to keep learning and growing and evolving. And I am a massive believer in service and being of service to the world. So, what can I do and the listeners do to serve you today? How can we serve you? Well, as I said, that um, I think I think um, the message that you are you are able to understand, listen, feel inspired. Our job is to share, spread, radiate that, and maybe guide other people to to gently uh, give them a little nudge to bring them to the fold to help them learn, read, understand. You have a wealth of library of so many experts and people talking about diverse things, but there's a common thread that runs through that is is um, the quality and the purpose of human life itself so i think uh, they can always share that with each other building the community um, trying to trying to be the best uh, what we can be in in our respective field um, allowing ourselves to to share the joy and happiness of of the core human values itself and the most important of all of this, it boils down to a spiritual awakening and understanding of life. Because at the end of the day, life is going to be up and down and good and bad. Experiences, they are bound to happen. Uh, the more resilient we become, um, the more easy it's going to happen. So creating some degree of equanimity, some degree of balance, where we're not getting carried away with too much of joy and exhilaration and too much of sadness and depth of depression. So maintaining that balance, maintaining that resilience is also very important. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Suhas, thank you so much for being here, for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge and for all the work that you're doing in the world. I am so 
grateful that I stumbled across you via Laura, our beautiful friend, about five years ago now. I'm so grateful. You are such a beautiful human being. The work that you're doing is so important. So I just wanted to thank you from Nick and I. We are so grateful to know you and to have your books in our home. So thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. And once again, uh, if people uh, would like to find the books, they are on Amazon Worldwide. Hot Belly Diet, um, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling, Change the Schedule, Change Your Life. All of those books are on Amazon sites worldwide in Barnes & Noble, Bound, everywhere. You can also go and visit my website for my personal services, which I offer around the world through Skype and um, through internet, which is uh, ayurvedichealing.net, ayurvedichealing.net. So once again, it's a sheer joy, pleasure and honor to be working with you and Nick. I wish you all the best and I hope that um, many more people join your fold and you create uh, a revolutionary tidal wave which is going to really create this tremendous awareness towards health and wellness. All the best to you. Wow, I loved today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Dr. Suhas and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. All you have to do is head on over to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 121. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. But I highly recommend diving deep into the world of Ayurveda. It is amazing. Grab Dr. Suhas's books and check out his website if you want. Book a session with him. Really dive deep into it for yourself and for your family. It is life-changing. And another thing I wanted to mention was if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can also get access to the Open Wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And it's free. Totally free. So just head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes to leave your review. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so, so, so much for being here. I absolutely love doing this podcast for you. And I'm so grateful that you are here. I just want to express that to you. I love and adore each and every one of you. And I love you for wanting to be the best version of yourself. Like I said, we're in earth school here and I want to honor you for showing up today. Like that is amazing. Well done. And if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit or and get a lot from this episode, please share it with them right now. Now, you can do that by taking a screenshot or sharing it on your social media. You can email it to them. You can text it to them. Do whatever you have got to do to get this episode in their ears. This is life altering, life changing information. So do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. 
And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.